that uh, sometimes your worst enemies, the people that can hurt you the most, are the people you were closest to at one point. Right? If you ever want to have a, a nasty fight, go to go to go to war with somebody that used to be right next to you. You know that that that's very destructive. And I and I said the fact that you two actually took that energy that you could have used to continuously destroy each other, talk down on each other's name, you know, try to undermine what the other one was doing. You're actually using that energy to build. So, so I, I, I used a numerical example. I said, let's say that, 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 that uh, I, I'm a six and my friend is a four and, 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 and we go to war. So maybe because I'm a six, I think, yeah, I can take you down because you're just a four. Right. But we go to war and you and you your four hits me hard. Right. So it becomes a, a minus. It becomes negative. Six minus four is what? Two. Right. So after the war is over, after I've won the battle, I don't beat this Negro down. Right. I took him out. I used to be a six. Now I'm a two because because you made me bleed also. Right. You didn't win, but you made me bleed. Right. And you're a zero. So I feel like I won because I'm a two and you're a zero. But did anybody really win? Right, nobody won, because the, what what I've what I've done is is I think that I won when really I'm just not the biggest loser. We both lost because we took our energy and we chose to use it in a destructive manner, as opposed to using it in a productive manner. So at the very least, I could have went my way, you could have went yours. I say a six, you say a four. But let's say that we're really smart, like like Sundiata and Jabari, then I say, okay, well, you know, six minus four is two, and I am a six and you're a four, but six plus four is what? Right. So so the, the best way for me to deal with an enemy is, or, or a potential enemy, is not to defeat my enemy. It's also not just to maybe avoid my enemy. It might be to see if I can turn that potential enemy into a friend, right? If I can take that potential adversary and make him an ally, now we're both sitting on 10, because we've come together to work together. And, and, and I saw that manifest because I heard Sundiata and Jabari talk about a shop that they're going to open together. Now, because they're grown men and they were able to overcome their differences and engage in whatever conflict resolution occurred and put the past behind them, they are now able to do things that would have been very difficult for them to do alone. So that is a powerful, important lesson. When you talk about that black business mentality, I, I felt that that story was perfect, a perfect prototype for exactly what we want to aim for when we're talking about what it means uh, to build business. Because, because if you look up the definition of things like corporation and all that, it always comes back to relationships. Uh, corporations, businesses, organizations, any organization is nothing more than a nexus of relationships, like a spider web. It's just a bunch of connections that people have with each other that allow you to get something done. Right. And, and so 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 that mentality really uh, is, is something that you really want to process. It, it's almost meditate on. And, and so what I want to want you to do is think about it like this. So the black business mentality, and that, that's the title of our conversation today. So think about what mentality is. What's mentality? It's it's what you think about, right? If you're not thinking about it, then it's not part of your mentality, right? And and so so when I grew up, I didn't even know the beginnings of having a black business mentality because I had a job seeker mentality, right? I was thinking about how to get a job, how to fill out a resume, how to uh, how to get a degree so you can apply for the job and be the best candidate, right? That was all we thought about, right? So so you think about this, right? So how can you be good at something when you're not even thinking about it? 
if I'm not thinking about basketball all day and at, at all, it's not even in my consciousness, then how am I going to be a great basketball player? Right. So, so a lot of developing economic strength and business strength comes down to asking yourself, what am I thinking about all day? What is in the sphere of my consciousness? So when we use that word conscious, a lot of people will say, I'm conscious. I'm in the conscious community. I'm woke. Are you really woke? A lot of people just know how to say the word woke. They can spell it. They, they know what conscious, they, they can kind of say it. But I don't even know if they're conscious enough about consciousness to know what consciousness really means. Consciousness to me, being woke is awareness. My conscious mind is observing what is around me and I'm thinking about it and I'm analyzing, I'm breaking it down and I, I'm processing things so that I can think about what my next move should be. So when you talk about a black business mentality, first thing you gotta do is you have to be woke to even know what that means. Uh, th that word consciousness, we have, we have a lot of black folks that literally run away from the word conscious because they think, well, I don't wanna be part of the conscious community because consciousness, consciousness. So when you say you don't wanna be conscious, you're kind of saying you wanna be unconscious which means you're not saying you want to be woke, you really want to be asleep. And, and if you look at uh, economics and, and politics and pretty much everything else, the powers that be that take advantage of those who don't have as much power, it, they typically use methodologies that seep into your unconscious slash subconscious mind. They want you to be asleep because a person who is asleep, a person who is unconscious is easy to exploit, whether you're talking about a rapist who put something in somebody's drink, or if you talk about corporations who use tons and tons of subconscious manipulation strategies to get you to buy products, they don't want you to be conscious when you spend your money because if you're conscious, you're going to say, well, nah, I don't think I really need to spend this money. Or, well, I don't know. I don't know. Let me think about that. I got to go home and process it. No, no, no. We don't want you to go home. Right? Anybody ever seen that? When they talk about when, they, when they're selling you a new car, they don't want you to go home and talk about it with your spouse and think about it. They want you to do it now. Because they, they, they're tapping into your unconscious, subconscious mind, right? Uh, the, the politics, uh, they want you to keep voting for the same ridiculous politicians because that's just what you do because that's what your parents did and, and, and they're doing nothing for you. We see this. It, uh, there's probably no greater example in the country than Baltimore uh, of, of, of what happens when you have the same worthless politicians running the same areas as those areas get torn down and destroyed, right? Uh, Chicago, where I'm from, same, same thing. So, so ultimately, this uh, lack of consciousness that links, when I think about a black business mentality, it all comes back to consciousness and what it means to be woke. And the question is, are you conscious? Are you awake? And, and if anybody needs to be conscious uh, in, the, in this country, it has to be black people. Because they have spent hundreds of years systematically and strategically manipulating your subconscious and unconscious mind. They have taught you how to really hate each other. And you were social distancing before the pandemic ever began, right? I'm not going near that Negro. I don't want to do business with that, right? And, and, and they, they have taught you to be afraid. Uh, they have taught you to be white supremacists. They have taught you to honor everything that is white. Uh, I, at the, my hotel's right near uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital. And when I saw Johns Hopkins, I saw the big sign. And I remember how excited my sister was in college when she got her internship at Johns Hopkins and that was a big thing for our family. And then I started thinking about Johns Hopkins and, and I'm sitting in the middle of this neighborhood and I'm talking to my wife about it. I said, this looks like a neighborhood where there used to be a lot of black people, but, but, and you see some remnants of it, but I bet you where the, this university, like a lot of them bought up all the, all the property around it. Right. And, and so now they, they kind of own it. And then I started thinking about Henrietta Lacks and I started thinking about how we sort of, how we tend to put that whiteness on a pedestal. 
you know, and, and that and that really seeps into how we think about uh, economics. Right? When you talk about a black business mentality and you've translated that into a job seeker mentality, well, you're thinking, like Dr. Mahat mentioned earlier, you've got these young people with all the potential in the world who are sitting around saying, oh, I want to go work at Google. I want to go work at IBM. I want to go work at Nike. Right. Because these big corporations, they, there's a there's a value you would ascribe to that. Right. Like, they, like they, you know, if you say, well, why don't you come down and, and work with Brother Jabari and really do the work that matters for your people? They say, ah, yeah, but but being at Google is really cool. Like that's that that has value. Right. So when you talk about mentality, and you talk about psychology, you have to really think carefully about what is being put into your conscious and subconscious mind. You, your conscious mind actually manages the subconscious mind. You must consciously manage your own subconscious to deal with all of the stuff that's been planted there that's keeping you from getting to where you want to get to. Okay. And, and I'm stepping into this uh, with, with, with a confession. My wife happens to be uh, an expert on the subconscious mind. And so we talk about that a lot. We talk about how the music is used to manage the subconscious mind of black people. If you listen to a lot of the songs on the radio, they are nothing more than blueprints for black male self-destruction, right? Go, go have sex with every woman you can find so you can spread as many diseases as possible and make babies that you're never going to take care of. Go, if you get money, go down to Jake the Jeweler and drop $100,000 on some stupid gold chain that don't mean nothing and give all your money away to white people as quick as possible. Uh, if, you, if you're ignorant, then that's good. If you are intelligent, then that's bad because intelligence is boring. Ignorance is lit. Right. It's really cool to be so stupid. You can't even spell your mama's name. Oh, and if you see another black person, make sure you kill them immediately, uh, because that is your job uh, to brag about how many black people you kill. Right. And, and so so ultimately, when you're talking about the manipulation of the subconscious mind and you're talking about building the mentality that develops uh, business, this is more than an economic discussion. This is a social sociology discussion. This is a political discussion. This is a discussion about families. This is a discussion about self-love. This goes far deeper than just uh, how do I manage my 401k or how do I fill out the form to start an LLC? It goes into everything that was put into your brain to build you into who you are at this particular time. Now, let me give you um, something. I'm going to give you an acronym to help you understand, uh, to carry, carry something away from this discussion today. Uh, and this is uh, this is not a speech I've given anywhere else. I, I try to make sure that I'm speaking specifically to exactly what I've been asked to speak on. And so uh, so I think about things like raise the bar. I've written a book called It Takes a Village to Raise the Bar, a New Paradigm for Black America. You can have it for free if you go to BoyceWatkins.com. Uh, the book's right there. Everybody can have it for free. Uh, and, 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 and so when you think about the word bar, like what it means to raise the bar, B-A-R. Well, the first thing I would say, if you're trying to develop a business mentality, is the B, which stands for thinking big. Let me explain. And does anybody have people in your family that because they love you so much, they literally just shit on every good idea that you ever have? Like they literally like, well, it's because I love you. And I just want to warn you that if you start that business, you know, it ain't going to work out because ain't nobody going to buy no tea. People ain't buying that stuff no more. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to put that good job at the post office, right? And you're like, okay, I love you, but I don't need all that love right now. And they'll do it because they care about you, right? They don't want you to go crazy. Because when you start thinking different from other people, people start automatically thinking you're crazy. Because that definition of what we call, we call normal typically fits into, you know, no, what they call normal kind of means conformity. 
right? It, it, even if everybody else is, is acting weird and doing something that makes no sense, uh, if I want to be normal, I do what everyone else does. That and, and, and people do operate literally like sheep. They call that the herding effect. It's actually it's something they've written actual research papers on in finance and economics where they talk about how people will go along with the crowd just to fit in with the crowd because it's just more comfortable to kind of do what everybody else is doing. So if you're in a family where everybody in the family has done the same self-destructive crap generation after generation, you're going to feel comfortable doing that. Because, again, because you haven't gotten conscious to how these things are destroying uh, your family, or maybe you don't want to be uncomfortable, you don't want to be the weirdo at the barbecue, you might go along and do what everybody else is doing, right? So if everybody else is going out looking for a job, then you're going to go out looking for jobs too. So one of the things about uh, thinking big or becoming a big business owner is this. Look, here's the thing that you got to understand. A lot of the businesses that many of us have created, a lot of the businesses that you may own in this room or you're thinking about creating in this room, a lot of businesses and business owners end up feeling a little bit raggedy. I don't know if anybody's ever felt raggedy with your business. Like you didn't know what you were doing. You know, you weren't making no money. And that just confirms the fact that you were, that you're just not cut out to do this. You, you can't, you're not smart enough. You, you know, you, cause it's easy for you to believe that somebody else became a millionaire, but it's kind of, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that we can do it until we start getting that validation and confirmation from other people. And I, and I raised my hand because I went through the same process. Right. And, and, and one of the things I want you to kind of understand is that if you look at the history of most of the great corporations in America, all these companies that people admire, the companies that our smartest, brightest children want to go work for, a lot of these businesses started off incredibly raggedy. Uh, one of the things I used to do to try to get myself pumped up and motivated onto what the, what my potential could be is I would read the the origins of some of the biggest corporations in America. So one of them that I was reading about this week is UPS. I had a friend that worked at UPS. She came to visit me. We were talking about the company and the history. And I said, let me look up the history of UPS. And I said, did you know that UPS was started by a couple of teenagers who had bicycles? They literally were delivering packages on their bikes around town. And that grew into UPS, which is worth about $162 billion. Now, I bet you that if you went back 100 years and you told those teenagers that their little raggedy business they started where they're delivering packages on bikes was going to grow into a company worth $160 billion within a couple of generations, they wouldn't have believed you. They would have thought you were crazy. They'd be like, no, we're just trying to make $50 this week. Right? But that grew into UPS. Uh, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola was started by a man, I forgot his name. But he uh, was a, a morphine addict and he left the Civil War and he used morphine a lot. And he said, morphine is not good for me, which obviously is not. And so he created Coca-Cola because he needed something better than morphine. So he put a little cocaine in it or whatever, made this little drink. Of course, everybody loved it because I guess cocaine's good. I don't know. I've heard that. I don't, I don't want to know how good cocaine is. And, um, and, 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 and literally, so literally this, this thing becomes popular and it, it is selling pretty good. But he didn't he didn't see that Coke was going to grow into a, a company's worth a couple hundred billion dollars, two or three or four generations later. So he sold the rights to Coca-Cola for about maybe a thousand dollars. He sold the rights to somebody else who then saw the potential and took it on. So so here's the deal. Um, a lot of my bet is, in fact, I just know this for a fact, a lot of the businesses that might be in this room from people that are listening to this conversation right now are are probably pretty raggedy. And you're probably a little embarrassed, almost to the point where you're like that mother who just loves the hell out of her ugly baby. Um, but some of these businesses are going to grow into multi-billion dollar corporations. That little ugly baby that you have, 
that little ugly baby of a business you have where you don't halfway know what's going on, don't know how to really even do your taxes right, is going to grow into a multi-billion dollar organization that is going to feed your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And they're going to have your picture on the wall 100 years from today because they're going to say, that's where grandma started it all back in Baltimore. Do you understand? Now, it ain't going to happen with everybody. Some of your businesses, some of your businesses are just not going to make it. That, that happens. But some of you are going to have that legacy. I don't know who's going to do it. But here's the, here's the thing that, that you have to understand is that there is a finality in death. When you kill that little bit baby business you have, when you just give up and you give up hope, then you virtually guarantee that whatever that future is going to be is not going to exist. Whatever's going to happen for your, your descendants is not going to occur. And you have to remember that, right? You're not, you're not the, the, the modern Negro. You're not, the, you're not sort of you know, living in the present. You're really living in the past. You are the ancestors. You are the ancestors. And, and a lot of the business mentality comes from having the vision and the ability to visualize things that have not come to pass yet. To visualize, well, what does the next 100 years look like for my family? I mean, think about this. I talked to Dr. Maude about this yesterday, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like if somebody from 1921 wrote a letter or, or had a speech in a conversation where they were talking to the people of the year 2021 and saying, these are the things that we're putting in place right now so that you guys are going to be good 100 years from today? Can you think about how amazing that would be? So why don't you go be amazing? Have that conversation with your unborn children your unborn grandchildren let them know what you're doing for them right now that's going to prepare them for the future because these little seeds that you plant these little so-called raggedy businesses that that ain't making no money some of these businesses will grow into economic empires and it's up to you to decide if you are going to be the protectors and the keepers of that legacy are you going to protect the baby while it's tiny small vulnerable and a little ugly so that it can grow into the big strong thing that it's supposed to be later on god has a plan for you don't kill the plan. Next, we talked about the word bar, B-A-R. So think big. A is accumulate. A lot of people don't understand that wealth is an accumulation process, just like snow. If it starts snowing, individual snowflakes mean nothing. They're just tiny. They go away. But if you get trillions of snowflakes falling consistently, eventually you have an accumulation. And so you got a snowstorm. Right. So wealth is an accumulation process. This accumulation process typically occurs across generations. And in order for you to accumulate, though, you must first begin the process of preserving. You have to stop the leak. So let's start with an analogy. Lamar Jackson. I love Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson played for Louisville, where I'm from. I'm from the, the city of Louisville. And when Lamar was at Louisville, we knew he was going to be great. And I and, and God bless Baltimore because that boy's a bad, an amazing football player. Now, here's the thing. Uh, can anybody tell me what is the number one job of the quarterback? What is Lamar's number one job as quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens? Any, any sports fans that can tell me that? What is this? Is it to throw the ball, run the ball, score touchdowns? What is it? Protect the ball. Protect the ball. Because if he doesn't protect the ball, then nothing else matters. The number one job of the quarterback is to protect the ball. That's why when the play goes dead and goes bad, Sometimes they may want to scramble around, but if it's really bad, what do they do? They just get on the ball and cover it up, right? So you can keep possession so you can make the next play. So when you talk about wealth, the number one job that we have to focus on in our community before we talk about accumulation is you must protect the ball. 
See, as a community, we're not really protecting the ball. This is not our fault. I don't think we can be blamed for this entirely. But the, the inability or lack of desire to protect the economic ball is causing black wealth to actually go down over time. It's one thing if you're not, it's like if you're in a race, it's one thing if you're not catching up. It's another thing if you're running backward and you think you're running forward. A lot of the things that we identify as so-called progress are not progress at all. It's a, it's a complete illusion. Uh, there is a massive, massive wealth drain occurring in our community. It is a, a drain of our money, which comes from being trained mentally to be consumers as opposed to producers. Uh, it's a drain that comes from things like student loans, where you have uh, a lot of educated Negroes like me who thought that going to college was the only way you could actually make progress. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to college, but the problem is that the average black college graduate cannot repay their student loans. So if you default on the student loans, which means you get bad credit and your net worth is negative and you have nothing to leave your children, then game over. You lost the game. You might have letters behind your name, but you still lost the wealth game. Doesn't mean college is bad, but you still lost the wealth game because you pretty much to some extent have become you've been put in the same position as a sharecropper. That's how sharecropping kind of work. You put people in so much debt that they have to work for you forever. So because you're in all this debt and I come to you and I say, hey, let's start that business. Well, I can't because I got these student loans. I got to keep this job. Right. Or let's go and make an investment. Well, I can't because my credit's bad because the student loans and da, da, da. Right. Right. So effectively, we have a lot of highly educated sharecroppers in our community. They just don't think they're sharecroppers because they don't work on a farm. You work on a corporate plantation as opposed to the old school plantation. The plantations are still here. They just look different. Slavery is still somewhat similar. It just, it's a different kind of slavery. It's, like, it's a capitalist slavery, which is much more subtle. See, but if you're not conscious, if you're not woke, if you're not aware, then you won't even see it, right? But that's the best type of slavery when they don't know that they're slaves. You give them the illusion of freedom, not actual freedom. So, so you have a drain. You have drains on not just uh, your money uh, and, and your wealth and in different ways, you have drains on... Uh, a lot of your, your, your best athletes and entertainers that come out of the community, those industries are owned by other people. You have drains on your time. If I spend uh, 40 hours a week working for a corporation, that 40 hours a week, if I work 50 weeks a year, that's about 2,000 hours a year over a decade. That's 20,000 hours in a decade uh, over a 50-year working career. That's 100,000 hours. That's 100,000 hours I have spent not building black wealth, but I have spent 100,000 hours building white wealth. So if millions of black people are being trained to give 100,000 hours of labor toward building white institutions, then why wouldn't these institutions be powerful and wealthy and successful? Because they're getting everything they got and they're getting everything that you've got. That 40 hours a week that you're putting structurally, you're structurally putting that into businesses that are owned by other people. So other people are getting rich off of you, not just because they're getting your 1.4 trillion in black dollars. That's bad enough. But they're also getting things that are much more important than your consumer dollars, which is your time and your labor and your energy. A lot of our people don't even have time to build with family because you're spending most of your time at work. Like you ever see somebody at a, at a barbecue and you're like, hey, man, what you been up to? Uh, nothing. Just working. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Right. You spend more time with your boss than you spend with your kids. How, how's that work out for the family? That doesn't help the family. Right. So so. Consciousness means sort of structurally backing up and saying, what am I doing with my time? What are we doing with our resources? You see, one, of you, one thing you may not know is that 
you're actually you were actually born a millionaire. You you just don't think you were born a millionaire because somebody didn't leave you any money. But you were born a millionaire, and I'm not just trying to make you feel good. I'm not just trying to you know uh, tickle you and, and, and blow smoke up you. But I'm, I'm you really were born a millionaire. Let me explain why. There's a type of capital that is not financial. In fact, most wealth is not even money. Most wealth involves certain things like what they call human capital. Human capital is very real. You know it's real because uh, during slavery, when they owned your ancestors, that was real wealth. You could go uh, as a slave owner and you could say, I, I don't, they could say, well, what? You could go to the bank and say, I want a loan. And they say, well, well, do you have any money? They say, no, I don't have any money, but I own 25 Negroes. Oh, well, you can borrow against the, your Negroes. You can borrow against these black people, right? So, so you were capital. You were seen that way. They, they had banking systems around all of that, right? So now that capital has been released a little bit, right? Now you own that human capital, right? When you are a young, healthy black man or black woman, you have that ability to get up and work hard for somebody for at least 40, 50, 60 hours a week, right? Which has a tremendous amount of value. If you add it up over the course of a lifetime, that's millions of dollars in wealth right there. So because you don't have as much financial capital as you want, what ends up happening is you end up selling yourself back into slavery. You sell yourself, you sell that human capital, you lease it out to somebody who pays you money, right? And they pay you this much, but they're making, they're making, they're making three times more uh, from your labor than you're getting. So you're getting $20 an hour, maybe they're making $50, $60 an hour from that labor, right? And, and, and you're doing this because that's what you're trained to do. And, and the system is, is, is structured that way. This didn't happen by accident. The capitalists at the top of the pile they plan these things. They say, okay, we need more workers. Uh, let's create a, a, a women's liberation movement that's going to make women feel uh, that they're inferior if they spend time with their kids uh, and that they're superior if they go work in the factory all day, right? And, and so that way we'll have more women in the workforce. Let's, uh, let, let's integrate black people. Let's give... And work for us so that we're not really giving them any real wealth, or any real control, or any real ownership. We're just giving them their self-esteem back. They get to sit next to us at the table, so that makes them feel better. That makes them feel more accomplished because whiteness is a brand as well, which uh, be, and because we're trained to be white supremacists, we want to be next to that, right? So ultimately, a lot of your capital in your family and in your community is being given away and is being sold cheap. So a lot of the black business mentality or the, the wealth builder mentality comes from saying, how do we stop the leak? How do we protect the ball? What wealth is already here? Rather than me, again, mentally, this all goes back to the mind, right? Uh, instead of me thinking somehow that being black is a curse, actually, maybe I can realize that being black is a blessing. We have tremendous amounts of capital right there in our family. If you have four hardworking siblings that uh, they're all smart, decent people and highly educated, then you've got millions of dollars in human capital right there in that family. But if, if I'm sitting there thinking, well, if my mentality is, well, I got to go get me a job now, now that I've got all this education and all this work ethic, I'm going to go find a job working for him. And my sister's going to go work for her. And my brother's going to go work for her. And my other sister's going to go work for him. Well, then what's happened is you haven't protected the ball. It's like having uh, air conditioning in your room and you left the window open. It's 100 degrees outside. And you wonder why the room doesn't stay cool. Well, because you need to close the window. You're letting all of your wealth, all your capital 
all your potential go out the door because there is wealth in human beings and the labor that you provide and the skill sets that you provide. In this room right now, with just the people that are in this room, we could create millions of dollars in wealth by simply coming together, working together, and being committed to working together. But that starts up here. If I don't like you, I'm not going to work with you. If I am, uh, if I, if, if none of us obtain the skill necessary to uh, to develop and build what we're trying to create, then we can't make anything happen. If none of us has any vision about what we could actually do together, then then we're not going to succeed. So when you talk about the black business mentality, it's it's a really deep concept. It doesn't just involve the conscious and subconscious mind, but it comes down to things like like things, mushy stuff, like like love and and confidence and hope and faith. Right. So it almost sounds like you were in church, because let me tell you why faith does make a difference. And faith is also psychological. Has anybody heard the word risk in business? You know what I mean? If I say that that's a risky decision, you know what I mean? Most everybody knows, even the children know what I mean. Right. Well, the thing about risk is risk is a two sided coin. Right. It means everything can go good or everything can go bad. Right. It, it depends on what happens. Well, did you all know that people who have been traumatized, which we have in, in a million different ways, historically been traumatized, people who are traumatized are less likely to take risk because when they see a risk, they don't see the upside. They only see the downside. So when you have those loved ones, those Negro naysayers in your family, you know, Negro, Negro naysayers are people that find a problem for every solution, right? What you're really seeing is the manifestation of trauma. You're seeing traumatized people who are only seeing the downside. They're only seeing all the reasons why that risk you're about to take is not going to work because they're scared. We know that trauma leads to drama. It doesn't just lead to negativity. It can also lead to conflict. Uh, you, so, so we're going back not just to things that involve setting up businesses and organizations. I can show you all that, right? That stuff is easy to teach. But what you have to teach yourself is how to unlearn all the things that you've been taught about yourself, all the things that, that you feel uh, when it comes to your own people, your own relatives, your own family, your own potential. You that part is internal. That's not something you're going to pick up in a book, because if you look at most people that become great business owners and make millions of dollars and all this other stuff, you'll usually find that it isn't just their skill set that separates them. It's usually something spiritual. Like they're going for it. They're jumping out there. They want to meet everybody. They're greeting people with a smile, right? They're forming healthy relationships, right? Which is the R when it comes to raising the bar, right? Think big, accumulate relationships. Let me explain how important relationships are. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a young lady that I mentor, and, uh, and she has four sisters. And one sister is like a nurse's aide. The other one works at four. The other one is a hairstylist. The other one does something else. And, I, and they're all struggling. Everybody's struggling. When you divide it, you struggle. That's what happens. This whole rugged individual, uh, what was it, a rugged individualism they teach, that's a bunch of nonsense. Like, you got to go back to Africa where they talk about, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You, that, you Let go of that individualism crap because it doesn't work. So the, all the sisters are out there individually. All of them are single mothers. All of them are struggling. Uh, the lowest net worth in America is the single black mother. 
the median net worth of a single black mother is zero dollars. Uh, right there with her is the father with multiple children and multiple households. So even little things like how you structure your family is absolutely essential in how you build wealth. Who you choose to partner with, who you choose to have in your life, who you choose to have relationships with is everything. This is literally something that should be taught in school. How to pick a baby daddy, how to pick a baby mama, how to pick a husband, how to pick a wife. Like literally, literally. So I was talking to her and I said, okay, so you're struggling here, your sister's struggling here, your sister's struggling there. I said, why don't y'all work together? I said, you know, she's a hairstylist and you could help her in her shop and you can expand the shop and you can do this and do that. And you know what she said? She said, I can't work with my sisters. Right? I can't. They, she, Because she'd be lying and, and she's da da da. Right, right, right. And it was one of those things like, I don't want to be around, you know, my siblings, right? And I get that, right? We all have gone through that. We all got family members that we just don't ever want to talk to ever, right? They call you, you do not pick up the phone, right? I understand that. But then I was sitting there thinking about how much wealth is lost by the fact that they can't resolve their conflicts and find some way to align their incentives so they can work together to help each other out of the struggle. And then I thought about how many families we have in our community that have the same problem. And then I thought about the fact that many of those problems come back to the, to the fact that we have so much trauma that we've all experienced personally and also cultural trauma that, that has gone that has existed across generations. So here's what I figured out. I figured out that we all probably need therapy. Every one of us. I know I do. I get triggered all the time. My wife was like, you're getting triggered now. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> that's, that's that other voice coming out that's thinking about the things that happened to me as a kid. You know, I, I, had, you know, I didn't have no daddy. I had a father that raised me. He was a, a Vietnam veteran that was very abusive and, and just a lot of little things. You know, we all got our stuff, right? And so I would almost encourage anybody when you're talking about building business and what a business mentality looks like, do not underestimate the significance of relationships. A person that has good, strong, healthy relationships can get things done very easily. That would be almost impossible to do if they were doing it alone. Relationships are actually everything. If you look at the definition of a corporation, one of the definitions is a corporation is nothing more than a nexus of relationships. It's a group of people who got together and formed almost like a gang, kind of like an economic gang. Apple. Apple is just a big economic gang because they all wear the same colors, speak the same language. They have the same goal, the same objective. They got a hierarchy, you know, just like the Bloods and the Crips. Right. And they're making trillions of dollars all throughout the world because they, they are on code. They have the ability to work together to achieve a common objective. If you deviate, then you get booted out. And then I started looking around and I realized that when you talk about the game of global economic warfare, there's a lot of gang activity happening out here. A lot of people, a lot of gang affiliation. You know, uh, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, that's just an economic gang. That's when the U.S., Canada, and Mexico got together and said, let's protect our economic interests with each other. You go to the Asian Pacific Union, oh, that's an economic gang. Asian countries got together and said, we're going to trade, have free trade amongst one another so we can all get money. The European Economic Union is a gang. Uh, IBM is a gang, right? Everything is a gang. Gangs are everywhere, right? And the thing about it is when I started thinking about this, I said, okay, this makes sense because... The, the innate natural desire and ability to align with and to come closer to people that are similar to you, where you can achieve common goals, at the very least have safety and security, and then, and then eventually uh, some sort of accumulation, that's not, just, that's not something you have to be taught in school. Even animals know this. 
right? When I go running and I see all these geese, there's hundreds of geese all together. And I'm like, nobody taught those geese that they should come together and be with other geese. They just innately knew it. And so sometimes I think that what we've gone through has taken away our natural instincts in terms of understanding how important it is for us to come together when it comes to achieving a common objective. Your first gang is your family. And the reason that they work so hard to destroy the family and to particularly get rid of the father and to convince you that you don't need the father and they lock all the fathers up in prison. A lot of your strongest black men are in the penitentiary right now. Uh, is because once you take away that protection and that leadership and that structure of the economic gang, it's very easy to infiltrate. You can infiltrate with, with very bad ideas. You can extract resources. You can come in and kind of take whatever you want because you don't have that structure. You don't have that security. You don't have that protection. Also, you have chaos. If, if I go to the south side of Chicago, they've always had gangs in the south side of Chicago, but not gangs like this. The, the gangs today are the gangs that uh, that you didn't see in the 70s, at least in the 70s and 80s and 90s. You had gangs that were a little more structured, had a hierarchy. Now it's just dudes running around with AKs shooting each other down. You know, some angry 17 year old that kills another one because he made a rap song about him or whatever. They call it drill hop, I guess. I rap about you and then you come and shoot up my whole family, whatever it is. Right. So ultimately, this loss of connection, it, which is driven by the trauma, is not just something that affects gang activity in the south side of chicago it affects many of us in terms of how we conduct our lives you're not supposed to be doing everything by yourself now some of you may be in the unfortunate position where you have relatives that are not interested in getting on code that are too uh tarnished and backward in their thinking to even work with you on anything but what i learned actually was i learned that you can actually form a family anywhere uh, i don't care if you're related to me by blood uh, when I talk to Jabari, that is, that's a sibling to me. That's a, that's a relative. You know, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't matter who our mothers and fathers are in my view. We, we understand each other. We're on code. We, we support each other. I support him. He supports me. That's how we're more successful. And we have to do that because there's nobody hated more in this country than the black man. There are people that want us dead. They want us gone, especially the masculine black male. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, if you, if you want to be a little boy or, you know, whatever, do all these other things that they got on TV, then that's cool. But if you are a black male that is masculine, you pretty much are an endangered species. You are seen as a threat in every single way. So when I talk to other black men uh, that understand family, that understand the importance of the mission that that we are seeking to accomplish, my goal is in a million years, I'd never want you to become my enemy. Even if you are my enemy, I'm either going to uh, I'm not going to retaliate against you or I'm going to find a way to build with you because we must build together in order for all of us to be safe and protected and successful. So when you if you want to get a really good skill for building business, go take the time to directly specifically study how to build healthy relationships, how to be helpful and beneficial to other people, how to build a strong, healthy family. Start with the relationship with yourself. That therapist will help you dig into your nonsense so that when you are triggered, you're not going to react in a way that is destructive to the situation that you're in. Because that trauma that causes you to be triggered is driven by a type of fear. Fear is the enemy of healthy relationships. Let me explain. This is not just an emotional concept. This is an economic concept. There is something they measure in economics called consumer confidence. Anybody heard of that? Consumer confidence is measured. Why? Well, because when consumer confidence is high, uh, then what happens is the economy takes off. 
And uh, when it's low, the economy starts to sink. There's also another measuring stick they use in the stock market called the fear index. And they measure that because they know that when people are afraid, the economy starts to sink. Well, why does it start to sink? Let's think about that. Let's, let's, let's break that down in the context of relationships. Well, if I am afraid of you, I'm not going to form a healthy relationship with you, right? If I'm dating a woman and I'm scared of getting hurt, she's scared of getting hurt, then neither one of us is going to trust each other. And the first sign that we see of, of either person getting out of line, we're going to run, right? Or she was, she was 10 minutes late, but that means she's not responsible. So I got, I got to get out of here. I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that no more, right? Because I dealt with that in my last relationship and I ain't doing it, right? right? You know, you, know, you got the track stars, right? Well, the same thing happens economically. When there is fear in the economy, uh, the banks are afraid to make loans because they're afraid of not getting paid back. So they hold on to their money. Right. Uh, the corporations are afraid of going under. They don't know if the consumers are going to come through for them and buy their products. So they don't make investments. They don't hire anybody. They, they don't make any investments in the economy because they got they, they think, OK, I got to hold on to my money because I don't want any bad things to happen. Uh, the uh, consumer, when they are afraid, do they go out and spend lots of money? No, they don't. They hoard their money. So the companies start to sink because the consumers aren't showing up. So the companies aren't hiring anybody because they're not making any money. And the banks aren't making loans because, because the economy's sinking. So that fear, when they, that old saying from FDR, when he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, that is absolutely real. So I started thinking about this in terms of our community. And I thought about how the trauma can breed so much fear. You know, it is not what you are doing right now by having this commitment to building black owned business in a black community. Uh, you are, in my view, the greatest heroes in this country. You are the talented 10th, in my view, not because of education or economic status. You're the talented 10th because you have courage that a lot of people don't have. Because I, I can tell you, I bet if I say how many of y'all have been hurt badly by another person that looked like you, raise your hand. How many of you have really been hurt? By maybe you did business with somebody, they ripped you off. Maybe you bought a product from a black owned business and they, they didn't give you what you paid for. Or maybe you run a business and you dealt with a customer that, 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 that tried to destroy your business, right? It's very scary. There's a lot of re-traumatizing that occurs when you're talking about a traumatized community. So the ability to really love and to understand that love is more powerful than hate, if that therapy piece is incredibly important because it allows you to process what has happened to you in a way where you're not going to let that cause you uh, to stay away from the people that you need to be with, right? So, so I'm gonna tell you, I, I get it all the time. When I'm, when I'm doing stuff in my career, in fact, when I started my business, I had a lot of people that told me, look, don't be trying to do this with black people. This whole economic stuff, financial literacy and all that, black people ain't ready for it, they don't wanna hear it. They, you know, they, they'll do X, Y, Z to you and just cause they black don't mean this is it. And, and I'm gonna tell you the truth, this happened. I mean, I have been hurt so badly by people that that I did, well, I still don't understand what happened, you know, and uh, and and so and, and so ultimately that decision to kind of love my way through it and to say you know what I got to process this in a healthy way so I can keep moving forward without fear, that has what has allowed me to be successful in, in the things that I do, right? So for all of you, I encourage you do the work, get the therapy, study how to build healthy relationships with other people because if you are help, helpful. To others, if you are bringing healthy energy into the spaces that you occupy, people will want to work with you. Good people will want to be around you. Good people will want to build with you. The other piece that you want to add in there is when you're talking about skill set. Uh, every black child in America by the age of 12 should learn how to start their own business. 
That should be a rite of passage. Even if you don't want to be a business owner, even if you want to work for somebody else, you still need to know how to start your own business just in case you lose that job, just to have an extra skill set, just to have another stream of income. Also, every child in our community should own shares of stock as early as possible, particularly maybe you have a newborn baby, give your baby some shares of stock as a happy birthday present, buy them shares every week consistently on autopilot, and then they'll be independently wealthy by the time they're 25 years old. What does that do? That takes them out of the struggle. That keeps them from having to sell themselves into slavery in order to make money, right? Uh, the third piece is when you talk about a real estate ownership, everybody must own something. Not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody has to be the boss. Everybody can't be the boss, right? And, and, and that's the one thing, too, that I want to make sure we understand is that I hear a lot of people say, we have, you know, you have to run your own thing, run your own this, run your own that. And I get that, right? I totally get that. But... I have a lot of partnerships with people where they're running everything and I'm just doing what they asked me to do. Like right now, I'm not running this event. Jabari and and, and Brother Sundiata and, and Dr. Mahat and, and others, they're the bosses of this, right? I'm coming in pretty much as the employee of the day in their space. And then maybe there's another situation where I'm running something and they're coming in to support me, right? So, so when you talk about this boss mentality, don't allow that to get you to the point where you're ego tripping and you don't know when to take a back seat and let someone else take the lead. In fact, it's hard to kind of feel like you have to be the boss of everything and own everything and do everything for yourself. In fact, I've seen people destroy good opportunities because they needed to own it all. Right. They, they need to be the boss of everything. No, no. This is called cooperation. I'm not here to train you to be a capitalist or definitely not a hardcore capitalist. I'm here to show you how free enterprise and wealth and business ownership can give you the freedom that you deserve as, as, as people in the country that doesn't necessarily want to help you. That's what you want to do. You want to see wealth as a pathway to what really matters in life. What really matters are things like freedom and happiness. When I talk to my 10 year old, I'll, I'll share this story and then I'll stop so we can uh, maybe answer some questions. Uh, my 10 year old came in and she said, uh, she said, boys, what did you want to be? She calls me boys because I'm a, her, I'm a stepfather, but I'm her father, if you know what that means. She's mine, right? When, when Those kids are all mine, period. And um, so she comes in, she says, boys, what did you want to be when you grew up? And I said, um, hmm, I don't know. I, I think I wanted to play in the NFL or something. I don't, I don't remember. And, uh, and, and, she, and I said, so what about you? What are you thinking about? And she said, well, I was thinking about becoming a, a dancer and a teacher and an engineer. And I was like, okay, that's nice. That's nice. I said, okay, so let's talk about growing up and, and what that means. And then now, now, mind you, the, the conversation I would have had with my parents is, well, this is the type of job you want to get. You know, you get a good job, make good money, blah, 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 all that. Y'all know the whole story. Y'all know, y'all probably just had the same conversation. But I said, let's talk about something a little more important than that. Let's, let's, I said, do you, have you ever heard of the inalienable rights? And she said, no. And I said, well, the inalienable rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a European concept, but I like that concept. And, um, and, uh, and, and I said, so what does that mean? Think about this. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So you know what it means to have life. Liberty kind of means freedom. And let's talk about the last one, the pursuit of happiness. So that means that uh, happiness is something that you desire and you need to go pursue that, right? And I said, so a lot of people don't know how to be happy in life because they don't even know what happiness looks like, right? It, because, it, again, consciousness, right? If, if you're not conscious then you think happiness is a Lamborghini in the driveway and a big house 
and a million dollar paycheck. And that's why you have these celebrities that become suicidal when they have all the money in the world and all the fame in the world and all the women in the world. And they don't, then the, the reason that they're, they're sad is because they don't understand that that really wasn't what actually was going to make you happy. You haven't even taken the time to even figure that out. I said, so knowledge of self really is kind of the first thing you have to have to say, okay, what really makes me happy? And, and, and then once you figure out what's going to make you happy, the next step is to figure out where the happiness is. Like, what, what does that mean in that moment? Because it can change, right? So some days, happiness might mean going to the movies. Other days, happiness might mean calling my mother on the phone. Another day, happiness might mean uh, going to the gym or sleeping in or, or whatever, right? So, so happiness is located somewhere out here. I figured out what it is and where it's at. Now I got to go pursue happiness, right? And, I, and so I told her, I said, a lot of people can't be happy because one, they don't know how to be happy. And then two, they can't pursue happiness. And the reason they can't pursue happiness is because they got to go to work, right? So you get up and you're working forward. And I bet you that for 99.9% of all forward employees, happiness that day is not in the floor plan. It is not on the assembly floor, right? But you can't go pursue happiness because you are uh, locked into the corporate plantation. So I said, the best thing I can do for you as your father is to uh, help you figure out what's going to make you happy. Because that's why you do all this stuff. You do what you go out and make money and work hard. and all this stuff So you can be happy. If you're not happy, then you've lost the game. Right. So uh, so I said, so so here's what um, I want you to understand. Happiness is like the sibling of freedom. Because if you are free, then you have the freedom to pursue happiness. So a free person with knowledge of self is most likely, in my view, to be happy because they know what's going to make them happy and they have the freedom to pursue it. And I said, uh, next to freedom is economic freedom, because if you've got economic freedom, then money does not become a barrier for you to pursue the happiness that your heart desires. Right. You say, you know what? Happiness means going on a vacation right now to Fiji. And uh, I'm going to book the ticket and just go because I've got the time and I got the money and it's good. Right. So what I told her that day and I probably gave her like the most confusing answer that a father could give a 10 year old. But uh, I think she can handle it. And I had we had to have that conversation. As I said, I think the best advice I could give you as a young black woman is to be economically independent and strong. That means uh, I'm going to do my part. I've got some assets that we're, we're accumulating for you. But your part is to understand money so that you're not in a situation where you feel trapped. A lot of our people struggle with depression. Depression tends to be linked to a lack of options. When they studied rats, they studied rats that were depressed and they found that the most depressed rats, they measure the serotonin in their brain. And they, they, they found that the rats who had the most uh, depression symptoms were the rats that were put in a situation they couldn't get out of. They were locked up, they couldn't, they were in pain and they couldn't figure out a way to get out of it. So a lot of our people are in pain and don't know how to get out of that situation. We're in these painful, tough situations that lead us to be depressed. And, and, and so that freedom piece is critically important. And typically that lack of freedom links back to money. It links back to where you are financially. So I said, as a young black woman, I think that the goal, rather than me telling you to be a dancer or an engineer or a teacher, I think you should be all of that. But first, we need to, I'm going to make sure that you are financially good. And when you're financially good and you have knowledge yourself and you commit to being a good person and doing the things that matter to you, I think you have a pretty good shot at being happy. So, so think about things in that way. Again, when you're talking about mentality, you're talking about consciousness and awareness, that awareness of what's going to make you happy is, is, is far deeper than what you're going to get from public school systems, media or anything else. It really has to come from you.
That's all I have to say. Thank you, and I hope that this helps you out in your, in your journey. Now, do we, do we have time for questions? Okay, all right. Uh, if anybody has a question, uh, you can raise your hand and I will be happy to answer. Yes, sir. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you. Okay. Another question? Yes, sir. Uh, what's my view with Bitcoin and black in America? Uh, I buy Bitcoin consistently, but I'm always prepared for the other shoe to drop because uh, I still think crypto is kind of a new investing space uh, that can be easily disrupted. Uh, just this past week, China uh, made some announcements that kind of almost, almost made transactions in cryptocurrency pretty much illegal. Uh, they didn't outlaw the uh, possession of cryptocurrency. But they, the government's been very unpredictable, and they could do that at some point. Nobody knows. Uh, and the reason I mentioned China is because China and, and Asian countries are supporting uh, the price of cryptocurrency pretty good. Like they, they're really enthusiastic about it. And so these little factors, these little unknowns are the things you want to be careful about. So I do invest in Bitcoin. Um, I don't put more than 10 percent of my portfolio in it, though, uh, because uh, it, 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 could, it could disappear any second. But then it could also go to the moon. If they leave it alone, I think it's going to go to the moon. But if they keep messing with it, bad things can happen. Also, Ethereum is uh, is one of my favorite cryptos because there's a lot of great stuff being built on Ethereum, like the NFT networks and stuff like that. I think Ethereum has a tremendous amount of potential. So most of my crypto money, I invest in about probably 20, 25 different coins. Actually, if you go to drboyscrypto.com, I, I have a screenshot of all the different cryptos I own. So if anybody wants to take a look, you can. But so I dabble in all of them, just kind of mess around, you know, you know that little little roll the dice that we all have. But when you talk about long term holdings that I think are really going to pay off, I'm thinking about those those big dogs, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I also like Cardano. Oh yes, sir. Okay. Oh please go ahead. Okay, well, if, let's see. So, to you want to form an investment group, an investment club. Um, there, there's a. Let me see. Well, I, I can't, I can't teach it to you right, like right now, right? But, um, but there's instruction out there, not just online, but also in the Black Business School, which everybody can get started in the Black Business School for free. The BlackBusinessSchool.com. So feel free to take a look. Uh, we do have some stuff in there on how to form an investment club, and that's important because. A lot, of, a lot of wealth that's built in, in this society is built with groups and clubs and things like that. And an investment club has a lot of value that goes beyond just how much money you make. Uh, just fellowshipping and networking with other people is an incubator of e economic possibility. You know, like that's just, just born out of that. 
It's like if I have a nightclub and I bring together the prettiest girls in town and the, and the, the most eligible bachelors in town, you know, some things will happen, right? Some things will pop off. Babies will be born. People will get married, things like that. So the same thing is true with an economic club. Uh, when you get together, what you're doing is you're bringing not just your money together, you're bringing your ideas together. You're bringing your networks together. You're, you're creating an economy. An economy is created, uh, you know, the same way you, um, you, you, you create anything, the same way you, you bring people together to make babies or whatever the case may be. Economies are created by basically people coming together and sharing resources, and wealth literally rises when you're together. If you take a group of people that are working together, making money, and you spread that group apart, a lot of wealth just disappears. So come together. So forming an investment club is a great idea. We got time for some questions.